Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are going to be previewing this week's PGA Tour stop, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Personally, this is one of my favorite events on the calendar. I do really enjoy watching it. Anytime Pebble Beach is on the television, it's a good time to watch golf. So if you are here for DFS purposes, for outright betting, or for one and done, or pretty much anything this week that is going to involve picking golfers for this AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, you are in the right spot. First, we're going to break down the course itself and the course rotation itself uh, and talk about just what the golfers are going to be seeing this week and talk about what kind of golfers can succeed at this course. And then we're going to be breaking down the golfers themselves, starting at the best of the best and going on down the board with our one and done preview at the very end. So if you are a one and done person, please stick around for that. Now, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please rate and review and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts now, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, iHeart. We are on all of the world's top podcast platforms. Um, And so even if you've only listened on one, rate and review on everything you got. It really helps me out a lot. It'll help me keep producing content um, to come out to you guys. Uh, Also, if you're interested in my full DFS picks, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. I'm going to mention a lot of names here on this show today. See who makes the cut for my final lineups and how I'm building it and how I'm trying to piece everything together by heading on over to Patreon. All right, so um, without further ado, let's go ahead and start talking about this week's course. Obviously, most of you guys know it if you're here. It is Pebble Beach, but it's got a little bit of a twist. We're going to break it down, but first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. It is no secret that if you play a lot of golf or you watch a lot of golf, you have probably heard of Pebble Beach. If you're like me, you kind of got your first exposure to it by playing the old Tiger Woods PGA Tour video games, and it was just one of the coolest, most visually appearing courses on that game. And come to find out, it is one of the coolest, most visually appearing courses in real life. So um, I personally love watching golf at Pebble Beach. This is one of my favorite events on tour. And what's interesting about this one is this is a Pro-Am, and it's going to feature a three-course rotation. Now, with that Pro-Am setup, golfers are going to be paired with amateurs that there's actually some celebrities playing this time. Um, Bill Murray, Larry the Cable Guy. I believe I saw that Josh Allen is playing at this event. I don't think they got Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a little busy. Um, But I think that the Pro-Am component of it causes the course rotation, and it's going to mean long rounds for these guys. There's definitely an element to being good at that. And so you want to kind of look for guys who have been good at this event and been good at the American Express, which is the other notable Pro-Am on the PGA Tour. Now, like I mentioned, this is a three-course rotation. The three courses are Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill, and Monterey Peninsula Country Club. They are all three under 7,100 yards, and they are all three featuring Poa Greens. Monterey Peninsula is the easiest course of the three. And so when you're looking at this course rotation, everybody's going to get to play all three of them Thursday through Saturday, and then the cut is made. So if you are playing any kind of showdown DFS contest or making any kind of first-round leader bets, it usually comes from Monterey Peninsula because that is the easier of the three courses. Now, if you're also looking at strokes gain data you know, from the shot link um, setup that the PGA Tour provides, that is only available at Pebble Beach. So if you're looking at strokes gain metrics from this event, it is only tracking from the rounds that are played at Pebble Beach. So that is one round before the cut, and then the Sunday round that everybody who makes the cut plays at Pebble Beach. Now, what's also notable at this event is that you're going to see Pro-Am conditions at Pebble, not U.S. Open conditions. The rough is not going to be very thick. 
the greens are going to be pretty slow. It's just not going to be set up to be as difficult as they would for a U.S. Open setup, which they have hosted multiple times. But it's not going to be that difficult of a setup because of the amateurs that are playing. They want to make the course accessible and fun to play for the amateurs. So that way they keep coming back. And so that provides a little bit of easier conditions for the pros that are playing it. And it's not going to be as penal to hit into the rough. The greens are going to be a little easier to read. Putts are going to be a little easier to roll in. Now, of the three courses, they're honestly kind of wide open for the most part. At least Monterey Peninsula and Pebble are. The only course that is really tree-lined with the fairways is Spyglass. Spyglass is another one of those courses that it's really visual appealing. I wish they would do more events there because it is really cool to look at. There's some really unique golf holes, um, some really unique green complexes, and I do really enjoy watching Spyglass Hill as well. Now, to me, the best comp course for Pebble Beach is Port Royal, which is home of the Bermuda Championship, and El Camellion, which is home for the Mayakoba Championship. Both of those courses are short, coastal, and windy. Now, a lot of people are going to bring up that Torrey Pines and Riviera both feature Poa Greens, but I don't think that's really a natural comparison. Pebble is much shorter than Torrey Pines, and the rough is not as penal as Torrey Pines. And then Riviera is also a much longer course than Pebble, and Riviera features much different green complexes. Riviera features a lot of elevated greens where there's short game areas that are below the green, and it's really hard to kind of chip up and onto the green. With Pebble, if you miss the green, it's actually just like heavy rough around the green. Like you're just hitting rough from like green height. Um, Pebble Beach does actually feature the smallest greens on the PGA Tour. Um, so you're going to want guys who can hit to small greens. Now, in terms of the type of golfer we want to target, distance is not a determining factor in this tournament. There's a lot of courses where driver is going to be stuck in the bag because there's just angles that you can't really hit to with a driver. You're going to be hitting irons or woods off the tee. And so the only thing that distance will really help you with this week is if you're sitting 150 yards out and you're one of the longer drivers on tour, you're going to be having you know a wedge in your hand as opposed to a nine iron. So that's the only way that distance does help you this week. Um, so you can kind of see where some of these guys that are longer hitters and good putters can have success, but I definitely don't think it's a determining factor. We really want guys who are going to be accurate for this tournament because you want to be able to hit greens because the greens are so small that if you put yourself on these greens, you're going to have a makeable birdie putt. And so if you're the two real paths to victory are being really accurate or being really good in the short game. So that way, if you do miss the green, you're able to get up and down for par. If I'm being totally honest, it's kind of like a mentality where like I play golf in real life, right? I'm, I'm no PGA Tour pro. I'm about an 85 to 90 golfer, about a 14 handicapper. And so when you play a course with small greens, and there is one local to me that features really small greens, it kind of elevates you if you know you have a good short game, which I feel like for amateurs, I have a pretty good short game. That's kind of my style. I'm not a long driver off the tee by any means. So you feel like when you're hitting to these small greens, okay, if I hit the green, I'm going to have a chance at a birdie putt. If I miss the green, I'm going to have a chance to get up and down because I know when I chip, I'm going to have a close enough putt that I can make for par. So if you have a good short game, you're going to have a little bit of elevated confidence heading into this, but being able to hit the greens is going to give you more opportunities to roll in birdies. Now, because of the relatively poor quality of this field, this is honestly probably one of the 10 to 15 worst fields we'll see in the PGA Tour this season. This tournament seems to either be won by favorites 
are long shots. There's not a whole lot that separates the middle range of golfers this week from the absolute long shots. And so that's really going to be kind of what we want in terms of building out our DFS lineups or making outright bets. You either want to find guys who um, really have a good chance to win the favorites or some guys who are more long shots that have winning upside. Little anecdote about this. This course, this tournament is actually the home of my best you know, per dollar DFS golf win ever. Um, I was down very low money on DraftKings and I spent $1 on um, one of the tournaments. I don't remember which one it was. And I had a lineup, this was 2021, where Daniel Berger won, where I had Daniel Berger, Jordan Spieth, um, and then my two values were Nate Lashley, who came in fifth, and Akshay Batia, who I believe is mostly on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, who had a really good weekend. He had all 18 greens in one round at Pebble Beach, which is incredible. Um, and so I turned that $1 into $150. And Nate Lashley had a situation near the end of the tournament where if he didn't three-putt, I would have been winning a lot more money. But hey, $1 into $150 is a pretty successful weekend. So, um, you know, just another incentive as to why I personally like this golf tournament. So, now that we've broken down the tournament, the course itself, and the type of golfer we want, let's go ahead and take a look at the board and see what awaits us, but I'm going to take a quick breather first. All right, so looking at the top of the board on DraftKings and FanDuel, the first name sitting there is Jordan Spieth. And I got to be honest, if Jordan Spieth were not named Jordan Spieth, he would probably not be the top priced golfer this week. The name recognition and the fact that we know his ceiling is kind of what elevates him into being the top priced golfer this week, but he doesn't have really any kind of recent form to bank off of. Last time we saw him, he went from first round leader to missed cut at the Sony Open, which is almost an incredible accomplishment. And then in his previous two appearances, he came in 13th and 15th in two tournaments that had field sizes of 39 and 20. So the recent form has not been great for Jordan, but his history at this course is nothing short of elite. Since 2015, he's played this event eight times. He has one win, a second, a third, a seventh, a ninth, a 20th, a 21st, and a 45th. When you've got five top 10 finishes at one event, like that's top tier elite level course history. He just absolutely plays well at this course all the time. And the way he does it is with his wedge play and with his short game creativity. He's really good at getting up and down. He is, you know, he can be one of the best putters on planet earth when he's locked in and when he's dialed in. And I just, I think this is a really good spot for him because of his course history. Even last year, he did not have any kind of recent form coming into this event and he still came in second. Uh, 2021, he really only had one good finish heading into it at the Waste Management Open and came in third. And so I think that this is just a great spot for him. He always does well at this event. I have no problem playing Jordan Speed this week. Also, I do want to give a shout out course history, courtesy of at PGA Splits 101 on Twitter. He posts a post every week um, that has course history, and it's just great to look at in terms of doing research for your events. Next on the board is Victor Hovland. So in his second most recent start, he did win the Hero World Challenge, which is a good sign because it is a short coastal course. He also has two career wins at Mayakoba, another short coastal course. Guess what Pebble Beach is? A short coastal course. So he's got great performances at the types of courses. This event, he doesn't have a whole lot of history yet. He only has a 38th at this event, uh, but he also has a T12 when the U.S. Open was here in 2019. That was won by Gary Woodland. So I definitely like the performances at the comp courses. And kind of looking at how the greens are set up at those two courses, they both set up well for Hovland because they're both very straightforward short game areas. He is not a good short game golfer, but 
when you get a course that makes the short game kind of easier, he can be. So when you're just chipping from rough onto greens, that's what Victor excels at. When you're having to, you know, negotiate elevations, being in a depressed area and chipping up to a green or, you know, hitting a pitch shot from a bunker, that's when Victor struggles. If Victor's able to just kind of chip it from rough on even ground, that's when he's okay. So I actually think this is a really good spot for Victor Hovland. Now, Matt Fitzpatrick in my opinion, is the best golfer in the field, just in terms of pure skill level. Um, he also has not a whole lot of history at this event, but he did come in T12 when the U.S. Open was here in 2019. He also won the U.S. Open last year at the Country Club. And I actually think that the Country Club is a sneaky comp course for Pebble. It's another course that features, you know, the, the kind of flat short game areas from the greens. There's not really elevated greens. And it's also a shorter course. It also has tiny greens, and it also features some short par threes, which Pebble does as well, most notably number seven. And so I kind of think that's a sneaky comp course, and I kind of think Matt Fitzpatrick is just the best, most skilled, most talented golfer in the field. I think that he is kind of a bargain priced below Spieth and Hovland. You're not getting any kind of course history with him, but I do think in terms of the talent, it is definitely there to play Matt Fitzpatrick this week. Now, looking down below Matt Fitzpatrick is Tom Hoagie. Personally, my opinion, Tom Hoagie, not as skilled of a golfer as the other three. However, his course history here and his course fit here is incredible. He is the defending champ of this event. He won it last year, and he also came in 12th in 2021. Another trend that is notable at Pebble is that a lot of guys who win this event have a previous very good finish, like a top 15 finish before they win it. So if you're looking at course history and you want to know if a guy can win an event, make sure they've come in the top 15 here before doing so. Hoagie is also a guy who is great at courses where there's a wedge in your hand a lot of the time. And Pebble, because of its length, is one of those. There's a lot of holes where you're hitting your approach shot into the green where it's just with a wedge in your hand and you got to hit the green. You got to stick it close with that wedge. That's where Hoagie excels. I do wish his price was a little bit lower, but the fit is outstanding for Tom Hoagie. I think of the kind of top tier golfers, you're going to see a lot of ownership for Spieth, for Hovland and Fitzpatrick. You're not going to see a lot for Hoagie. So I think Hoagie might actually be a really sneaky leverage play this week. Now, going down to the 9K range on DraftKings, Seamus Power is a guy that I actually have very high hopes for this week. He had a great end of the fall swing with a win at Bermuda, a third at Mayakoba, and a fifth at the RSM Classic. You know, guys who pay attention will notice that that was two of my comp courses for Bermuda and Mayakoba. And last year, he had a really good performance. He had a 36-hole lead here last year before a Saturday round dropped him out of contention. And the crazy part was is that Saturday round was at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, the easiest course of the three. Now, he still bounced back on Sunday at Pebble to finish T9, but if he just didn't have such a bad round at Monterey Peninsula, he probably would have won this event last year. And truth be told, I think Seamus Power is playing better golf right now this time than he did when he came in here last year. So I think Seamus Power is actually a very good selection this week. If you were listening to my description for the course and you thought, hmm, you know, if I've been listening to these podcasts for a while. Mike's described a guy who's good at this type of courses before. Well, guess what? That is Andrew Putnam. He is a great fit for this course because of his elite level accuracy. And if you're concerned about the course history, he was sixth here last year. I think this is an absolute smash spot for Andrew Putnam. Maverick McNeely is a guy that you're going to read the articles about this week on how he grew up at Pebble Beach and how he plays here all the time and how he's just, you know, kind of a, a local here at Pebble. And 
when you look at his performance at this event, it tracks. He has a second and a fifth place here, and he is the well. He is at his best when he is putting on Poa greens. That's his best surface. But the question that I always have with Maverick McNeely is, does he have winning upside? He really hasn't shown the ability in his PGA Tour career to go out and win a golf tournament of this size with this caliber of field. And this isn't even that great of a field. So what I really think with Maverick Neely is I don't think playing him in DFS is the best like use of him this week. Like I think Maverick Neely is a great one-and-done pick because when are you going to want to pick Maverick Neely ever again? But I just I think in DFS, I think he lacks winning upside. I don't think he would be a great outright bet either. Maybe a good top 10 bet. But if you're playing him in DFS and you're okay with, you know, him coming in like T9, or you know, maybe you're playing a cash game or something like that, I think this is a good spot for him. But I just don't think he has the same winning upside as a lot of the other guys in this range. Justin Rose is very quietly playing very good golf. He has four straight top 30 finishes, and he's got great course history here. He has a sixth and a 15th at this event, and he was T3 when the U.S. Open was here in 2019. Sneaky good play for Justin Rose this week. Matt Kuchar is a name that I was surprised to see at the top of the board. He hasn't finished better than 22nd here in the last eight years, but his recent form is about as good as it's been in the last three to four years. He's playing really good golf, and he's not as long off the tee as he used to be, but that's okay because Pebble is a short course. It's not going to box you out because of your distance. He's still a great iron and wedge player, and he's still a great putter. So Matt Kuchar, I think he's going to be super-duper low-owned. I don't think he would be my preferred play in this range, but I definitely think he's a viable option and definitely a guy that if you're playing GPPs and you want some leverage plays, he def he's definitely a guy that you can deploy. At the bottom of the 9K range, Denny McCarthy and Joel Damon both have very good profiles. They both have top 15 finishes at this event, which is something that I talked about that all winners at this event have had previously. And they also have great performances at short coastal courses. McCarthy more so at Bermuda, Damon more so at Corrales. But they both fit the profile really well for performing here at Pebble. So this week when building your DFS lineups, I kind of like the idea of fitting two of the guys that I just mentioned into your lineups. Now, we're going to break down some value plays and talk about how that becomes a viable strategy. So let's take a quick breather, and then let's break down the value plays. So I really do think that at this event, there is a big fall off in terms of general skill level of the golfers, and it happens at $8,500 on DraftKings and ten k on FanDuel. So I really want to try to push to get three guys above that number into my lineups and you know try to fill out the rest of the lineup from there. I think that with the quality of this field, like I mentioned earlier, it kind of favors the favorites and the long shots. And so th this kind of middle range from about 8,500 to about 7,500 is not the best. There are a few plays in that range that I like, and I'm going to go out of my way to mention them. But I really think that you can just go further down the board and get a golfer that's just at the same skill level. Now, above 8,500 on DraftKings are two guys that I do really like, Thomas Dietrich and Alex Smalley. They're both outstanding at short coastal courses, even though neither have ever made a cut here. Dietrich is in his first appearance. Smalley missed the cut here last year, although not by very much, but he did miss the cut. So I definitely think they both profile well. They're both very talented. They're both very skilled. Wouldn't shock me to see them win this event, um, but they don't have any course history here to bank on. Ben Griffin has the best recent form out of anyone in this event, and he hasn't finished worse than 32nd in any event since the first week of November. However, he has not played this event before, so if you play Ben Griffin, you're just banking on that recent form. Now, one guy that is below that line of demarcation is David Lipsky. 
And I wish he were a little bit cheaper because personally, I think in terms of skill level, he should be. But he's got a lot of traits that are going for him this week. And it's like DraftKings knows that and priced him up accordingly. So here's what he's got going for him. He plays well at coastal courses. He plays well at short courses. He's a good wedge player. He is a fourth at the Sony and a tenth at Mayakoba in terms of recent form. That's a lot going for a guy who really hasn't done a whole lot in his PGA Tour career. I think he's a solid play this week. I really do. I wish he were cheaper. That would allow us a little bit more flexibility with our lineups. But he's really the only guy in this kind of like low 8K range that I do like. Nick Taylor is worth mentioning because he has won this event and he is coming off of a T7 at the Sony Open. But I really think that in that little... 8K range, David Lipsky would be the guy I would go to. Eric Van Royen is also worth a mention. He has no course history here, but he is one of the best wedge players in the field. And like I said, this event can turn into a wedge fest because there's so many holes where guys are going to hit their tee shot and be left with a wedge into a green. Um, if you need more proof of that, the American Express can kind of be a wedge fest, and he finished T6 there. And he had a T35 in Bermuda, which is one of my comp courses. So I think this sets up really well for Eric Van Royen. Royen, Royen. Well, I don't know. I'm going to say Royan. I think I mispronounced it. Eric Van Royan is, is the guy I was talking about. Now, next up, Lonto Griffin is a guy that I want to spotlight. So I think he is going to be a sneaky play this week. He took a lot of time off last year with a back injury, and he came back last week with a T37 at Torrey Pines, which is a difficult golf course, especially one that's difficult to play with a back injury because you really have to um, get a lot of full swings in with long irons and woods because the course is so long. Lonto is also a guy that has legitimate winning upside. Like he's won on the PGA Tour before. He's won the Houston Open before, which is one of the tougher courses and usually a pretty good field at that event. Now, he also has a 16th place finish and a 9th place finish here at Pebble Beach in his last two trips. That goes with one of the trends that I was mentioning earlier in terms of all the winners having previously good finishes here. So in this range of golfers that are all kind of about the same, give me a guy like Lonto who has the potential to boom, has legit winning upside, and has shown that winning upside before. I think he's a really solid play this week. Worth mentioning are Russell Knox and Bo Hostler. Both are solid course history plays. Bo Hostler came in third here last year. Knox owns three top five. Uh, Knox owns three top 15 finishes. That was a lot of Fs in one sentence. Uh, anyway, both of these guys, the course kind of plays their strengths. Bo Hostler is not an accurate driver, but the rough is not very penal, and he's a pretty good wedge player. He gets to put a wedge in his hands a lot. Speaking of good wedge players, Russell Knox is a great wedge player. He's great at coastal courses. So both those guys are very solid profiling plays. Now, going back to the, the whole winning upside idea, Garrick Higo has legit winning upside. He is one of the most inconsistent golfers on tour, but when he plays well, he plays really well. He won one of his first starts ever at Congaree back in 2021, and recently he is an 11th at the American Express and a third at the Sanderson Farms. If you are going for broke and you want a guy who has got legitimate chance to win the golf tournament, it is Garrick Higo. He is a long hitter off the tee. He's a lefty. Um, and he has the potential to get hot with the wedges and the putter. So he is a guy that has some legit upside. Obviously, he comes with some risk, but he's got some upside. Looking further down the board, I like Matthew Neesmith in this event a lot. He is one of the best wedge players on tour, and he's backed it up with having a 16th place finish and an 11th place finish at this event. Speaking of two guys who have good finishes at this event and have winning upside, Nate Lashley and Troy Merritt are both really interesting to me this week. Both of them own top five finishes here. Lashley was T5 in 2021. Merritt was T4 last year. 
um, both of whom have the potential to get hot with the wedges and the putter. Lashley won at the Rocket Mortgage a few years back in which he just got scorching hot with his wedges and putter. Um, Merritt also has a lot of good performances at the Rocket Mortgage where just pretty much a hot wedge and a hot putter can get you to the top. Um, and I think Merritt is one of my favorite value plays this week. He has four top 25 finishes here at this event. That level of course history for somebody this far down the board cannot be ignored. Now, further down from them too, going back to like the like 7K and below on DraftKings, you're really just throwing darts at this point. And I think there are a lot of guys that are mildly intriguing, like Matty Schmid, Mark Hubbard, Adam Schenk. They, they all are just kind of mildly intriguing because of, you know, their traits. Good wedge players, good at coastal courses. But, you know, there's not really like a lock down here. Doug Gim is a good putter on Poa Grass, so that is worth mentioning as well. Henrik Norlander is probably one of the farthest down the board that I would go to. He owns two top 25 finishes here, um, which for a guy at that price tag is something. Uh, and then Satoshi Kadaira is also a guy who excels at short coastal courses. Um, doesn't really have great recent form, but he's got the track record at comp courses and at shorter courses throughout his career. So when building a lineup this week in DFS, I really want to try to fit three of those guys above that 8,500 number in, if at all possible, and probably skip most of the 8K and the 7K ranges and just kind of pick and choose my guys at the lower end of the 7K range to fill out my lineup. I don't know exactly how I will work it out just yet, but that's kind of the idea I have in mind, knowing that especially if you want to try to build like a GPP winning lineup, you got to get guys who can come close to that winner's circle in the tournament. And the winners here at this tournament, when you look at it, it's favorites and it's long shots. So stuff your lineup with as many favorites as you can and find long shots that have legitimate upside. That's kind of the, how I'm thinking about going about DFS this week. All right, so that does it for the DFS preview. Let me take a quick breather and let's talk some one and done. I do have to give a little bit of a shout out here at the start of the one and done segment. Last week in my one and done that I've been running, I, we did have two guys that correctly picked the winner, Jacob and Brent. Really solid pick with Max Homa. In that one, I had Jason Day, which I do not regret, um, but definitely wish I had pulled the trigger on Homa. So anyway, thinking about it this week, looking at it, in my opinion, there are three guys that you will definitely want to use again in your lineups, and that is Jordan Spieth, Victor Hovland, and Matt Fitzpatrick. Everybody else, I could make a legitimate argument that you can play them this week and never think about them again for the rest of the season. And so I think that when you're looking at it this week, that is definitely something that you want to think about. Do you want to be aggressive and try to play a Spieth or of Hovland or Fitzpatrick, um, or do you go a little bit down the board and just make it a guy that you can set it and forget it and not be concerned down the road? Truth be told, I actually think this is a pretty good spot for Jordan Spieth. If you want to wait until he has a little better recent form, I totally understand that. Like, I totally get that because, you know, his last event was a missed cut and then two poor finishes at no-cut events. Um, but... Like, he's done it before at this event without having a whole lot of recent form coming in. And so, also, what other events would you probably want to play speed at? Maybe Augusta if he gets it going before then. Maybe Texas or, you know, any of the Texas courses for that matter. But, you know, again, you're kind of relying on him to get it going if you're not going to play him here. So I actually think this is a really good spot to be aggressive and play Jordan Spieth. For Hovland and Fitzpatrick, I'm definitely going to want to use them somewhere else down the road. And so I will probably be avoiding those two. Now, looking further down the board, I played Andrew Putnam 
at the American Express, so I don't have that as an option. I really do like him in one and duns this week. I also really like Seamus Power in one and duns this week. As I mentioned last year, he had the T9 where he was actually the leader after round two, and he's a guy that if you play him here, you're probably not going to want to use him again, especially if your one and done stops at the BMW Championship or the Tour Championship because a lot of his best events are in the fall swing. So I think this is a really good spot to use Seamus Power. I think Mad McNeely is a really good spot. However, like I said earlier, I don't know if he has that winning upside. If you're somebody that you want to kind of just kind of pace yourself in a one and done, Mad McNeely is a great selection um, because I do think he's probably the most likely in this field to come with a top 10, but not most likely to win. Uh, I probably wouldn't go further down the board um, than maybe like a Thomas Dietrich or a Joel Damon. Um, Joel Damon tends to play these events, though, where like he's one of the favorites, like events kind of like this one. Um, so maybe Joel Damon, not so much, but Thomas Dietrich, I could definitely see deploying. Um, so if I can narrow it down a little bit, I either will probably go aggressive and play speed this week or probably look at one of the group of four between Hoagie, Power, Putnam, and McNeely. Um, if I had Putnam, he would probably be one of my preferred plays. Because I don't have Putnam, I would probably lean Seamus Power. So that's going to be the decision for me to make this week. Do I go with Jordan Spieth or do I go with a guy like Seamus Power? All right, so anyway, that does it for the one-and-done discussion. Keep in mind, the next two events after this one are elevated events on the PGA Tour, which means there is going to be a bigger cash prize, which means that your one-and-done is going to have more prize money up for grabs. So it is important to deploy your best golfers at the biggest tournaments. So um, Havlin and Fitzpatrick, like I said, I'm probably looking to deploy them elsewhere. Anyway, that does it for the one-and-done preview, and that does it for our whole preview of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Like I said, this is one of my events that I really do enjoy watching um, over the weekend. Just a you know majestic course, really good to look at on the TV, and I really wish that there were better professional golfers here. The amateur part of it is pretty cool, but I really do wish that some of the you know more established tour pros did show up and play this one. But anyway, that's beside the point. We're going to have good golf on our TV this weekend, and there is no football to kind of you know keep us away from golf so it'd be a good opportunity to watch some you know pretty good golf on our tvs anyway that does it for the preview if you want to see how i built out my dfs lineups head on over to the patreon patreon.com slash mike's money picks and if you like what you're hearing on the podcast please rate and subscribe it really helps me out a lot and lastly give me a follow on twitter at mike's money picks i'm more than happy to answer any lineup or start sick questions and i always drop extra stats and facts that i don't always get to here on the show all right, so best of luck to all your guys in whatever endeavors you have at Pebble Beach this week, whether it be DFS, betting, one and done, props, whatever. Best of luck to you. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.